Penn State wins it going away 24-0 over Indiana. It was billed by uh, many as a revenge game for Penn State football. They come out, take care of business, and they are now 5-0. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. This is BWI Live. That's Tom Hannafin. He's my co-host this evening, and we are going to break down the game from both perspectives, offense, defense, give you the insights that we gleaned from watching uh, the game tonight. And Tom... Was this the most dominant performance that they've put together so far this year? And I am considering Ball State and Villanova in that question. Uh, and I understand why, but I firmly believe yes, this was. Uh, this was the this was the best competition of those three games since we're lumping them all together. Um, Indiana, Penn State beat them going away, and that was something that you and I had talked about after the Auburn game. Is like, is Penn State going to have any games like this where it's like, hey, it's decided? And you and I were just talking a few moments ago before we came on the air, like when it felt like it was over. And I'd say about, I think the 1053 mark in the fourth quarter is when I was kind of like, yeah, this is wrapped up. Yeah. And it might have even been sooner than that uh, for, for a lot of people. So this felt really good. That felt like an Indiana defense that had a good plan. There are yep. a lot of smart football players, really good coaching, obviously. Um, they just don't have the athletes. And then it was something you and I spoke at half. Um, Penn State committed themselves to the run in the second half. And that yeah. was just something that you could tell the way Indiana was playing. They just weren't going to have an answer for that, unfortunately, for for Hoosier fans. So uh, this is a really good win for Penn State. I, I, I'm i still kind of digesting it. You know, you're not like, yeah, we killed him or anything yeah. like that. But yeah. it's, a, it's a good win. Kevon Lee ruined an awesome stat that I had. Uh, he <laughs> what, So... So here's something I tweeted out going into the fourth quarter. And and uh, when we were getting ready, you're like, hey, your your slide is wrong. It says Penn State won 28 to nothing. I said, I know, because they have scored a touchdown in literally every quarter this season except for the first half against Wisconsin. They were shut out in the first half. They've scored at least a touchdown every single quarter. And you're right. It doesn't always feel sexy because they don't always put up. 20 points in a quarter, but they have been a consistent offense that has consistently found answers and put points on the board. And then he goes in sideways at the goal line, yeah. like basic running one Oh one. You square your shoulders, you lower your pad level, low man wins. Like when you make the, the, the scenario in practice of like, it's the one yard line, you got to get a yard. You look, he went in with his shoulder sideways and up and like you, he ruined my stat because yeah. they kicked that because, because then they, they had to kick a field goal later. They didn't get points there. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it was, it was, it was a dominant win. He played very well tonight in a lot of different ways, but I just thought that was one thing that was pretty interesting uh, in in this game so far. So welcome to the BWI live show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Get your questions in in the chat. we got a couple super chat questions we're going to get to here involving some running backs as well. Uh, Tom, what stood out to you, uh, aside from you know the, the way kind of Penn State was comfortable in this game, what stood out to you about how they performed either side of the ball that was the, the generating factor for this? Um, I'll start with the defense. This Penn State secondary is outstanding. It, it might be one of the best in the country. Um, I remember um, when Matt McGloin and I started our podcast in August, a lot of the camp battles 
um, there were so many questions on defense, like who's going to step up and, you know, guys just hadn't had a lot of time and you kind of knew about um, Brisker and Castro Fields and Joey Porter Jr. You knew those guys were going to be there. You were curious to see how good they would be as a unit. Um, Daquan Hardy continues to be a fantastic slot corner. He comes up, he's physical at the point of attack. Um, they're swarming to the ball, the secondary especially. Uh, and then Jair Brown, I think, is that his third pick this season? And he's just in the right place at the right time every time. Yeah. And that's the great thing. And I think that's the reason that James Franklin pulled him aside after that pick because you could tell by the way Brown was returning it, he was kind of like, game's over, screw it. And when he came over the sideline, Franklin was like, hey, man, we're at the nine-yard line now as opposed yeah. to like the 15 or the 20 because you were just like, hey, it's backyard ball. Yeah. So it's nice to see those little things from the coaching staff, Franklin especially, just kind of bouncing and checking guys. So defensively, that secondary has been fantastic. They're rarely uh, out of place or out of assignment. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I'll make a comparison here, and people will maybe freak out. That was a Trace McSorley-like game from Sean Clifford. Yeah. Now, what do, I, what do I mean by that? That stat line, if you look at that for, I'd say, 60% of Trace's games, identical. Less than 200 yards passing, multiple touchdowns, really chipping in. I believe Sean was the leading rusher, most rushing attempts at least. Yes. So that's exactly what he did. Now, was he... It, that was the challenge from the Iowa defense from the outset. Sean Clifford, go ahead and beat us, whether it's your arms or your legs. And he was like, okay. And we yeah. keep asking questions whether he's a legit dude at quarterback. He keeps answering them yes. So yeah. I love it. And, and he made some some good decisions. His ability to extend plays and make plays with his feet, whether it's running or if he's uh, buying time, he's becoming very good at opening up holes downfield because he is a running threat if you let him into the open field that he can get guys open and then throw the ball over the top. That becomes a real catch-22 for a defender. I was going back and watching the Jahan Dotson touchdown. They had good coverage. So that's a zone coverage. They had Jahan all the way to the sideline. So he was running out of real estate on a crossing route. There's nowhere to go. Clifford runs into the flat. The guy comes up because it was fourth down. You've got to stop him on fourth down. But that leaves Dotson open, pops it over the top, and you get a touchdown, you get the catch and run. That's all because Clifford made the right decision in the moment, and he had not been doing that. So I got to ask you something because I'm going to put these uh, questions up in, in the chat here that we got. Um, uh, I, people seem to think that Penn State should have won this going away. Like, do you think they should have scored more points? Because it's yeah. it, the, the temperature in the room right now is not what I was expecting. So Dave says, no, it doesn't look like he did week one. Not as quick. Can't break tackles. Should John Lovett be the first back going forward? Run game looked best with him in. What do you think about the running back rotation? Noah Kane had 11 carries. He was the leading attempt rush. He was the guy that had the most attempts of traditional carries because obviously Clifford had some scrambles in there. Mm -hmm. uh, he had 23 yards. By far the least productive back. Uh, Kevon Lee, eight rushes for 74 yards. And uh, John Lovett, 10 for 41. So that's just mm -hmm. the statistical breakdown of, of the carries. Almost even. Uh, definitely not the same yardage output from Noah Kane. What, what are your thoughts with that? So your first question, uh, should Penn State have scored more points? I saw that question asked. Um, yes. Like you pointed it out in terms of they they – ultimately got a field goal, but it could have been a Kevon Lee touchdown. So there were, there's four points right there that easily Penn State could have had back. But 
I think people are waiting for Penn State to all of a sudden look like Alabama did today against Old Miss right. and hang 42 on a really good opponent. And that that's not this team. So you might see that happen a little bit more against a few more teams like that they play the rest of the season. Like, like honestly, the Illinois and Rutgers games, you should see them score into the 30s, but we'll see about that. Um, as for the running backs, there's just not a lot of consistency, unfortunately. And what I mean by that is like all three guys are performing, but they all have some sort of meaningful hole in their game. That's preventing them from being, you know, the number one guy. Yeah. We've talked about it before you and I T Frank, there is no Saquon Barkley in this running back room. It's sad to see Devin Ford kind of drift into the background. Um, It's kind of odd to see Noah Kane not producing the same way. Again, you can't put everything on the guy carrying the ball. There's got to be a blocking there accordingly. However, at least this game, there was a serious commitment to the run because Indiana showed in the first half they were going to give it up. And you and I have talked about it at half. 19 rushing attempts in the second half to 11 passing attempts in the second half. It's fantastic. It's great to see that because you had the opportunity. So my takeaway is, Approach this as if you're a New England Patriots fan. It's never going to be the same game plan twice. It's just whatever helps you win the football game. I know people would love to hear that this is a dominant, top three, legit championship contender. That's just not how this team is built. But they found a way to get it done, didn't they? And they blanked the team in a revenge game. Yeah, yeah. And so... I'll address the specifics of David's question about Noah Kane is he is not first off he hasn't been healthy the last two weeks which makes it now three straight seasons where he has not been healthy and you can see at contact there is no leg drive so whatever's going on is a lower body injury and that's a reoccurring problem with Noah and I addressed this in depth several times so far this season because from a for just from a from a uh, strength and conditioning perspective, for two years now, he has been rehabbing injuries. I, I think the one that we know what it was was a high ankle sprain as a freshman. Those are tough, you know, but you can battle through that and, and eventually you'll recover and you can do some strength training. You can get bigger and stronger and faster. Whatever he had last year, he had to have surgery for. You cannot squat You cannot do deadlift. You cannot get stronger in your lower body if you're rehabbing and whatever it was. I think it was a foot injury, but, you know, we never get to know the exact details. reveal that information, yeah. But you can't get stronger. So you're coming into this situation not the same guy. He is a power player. Now, his abilities, his, his true strengths are that when he gets to contact, he has great contact balance and he wiggles out of the good hit and rolls for more yards. Right now, he still has that second part, sort of, but without the power, you see what he is. He's a smart running back who can find the hole and literally get you anything that's there. If it's seven, he'll get seven. If it's two, that's what he's going to get. He can't cut hard. He can't make those moves, but he is a part of the rotation. He's a valuable part of the team, and he's going to get carries, and, and he's going to at least get you two. Uh, he's not going to get you negative yards. That's one thing, and I know that's not a sexy thing to say, but Kevon Lee at the goal line wasn't great in that moment, so and, it shows you what is, you need when you need two. The, and that it's not exclu- – you talked about um, uh, the leverage that Lee got. Okay, that wasn't good. 
However, it was also a gigantic power set with, I believe, three tight ends in. Like the, Penn State clearly was like, we're lining up all the beef that we have, and they still yeah. couldn't get that yard. It's something that we've seen. This has been symptomatic of the entire season. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I tend to lean towards, and it's like marginal, that yes, John Lovett is probably the most well-rounded back. There's gaps in Kevon Lee's game. There's gaps in Noah Kane's game. There are things that John Lovett can do better. However, John Lovett seems to be doing quite well overall, and I really like to see him get involved in the passing game because that that offense in the flat, that, scheme, that screen game where yeah. the, the running back is used far more as a receiver, we've not had that at Penn State, so it's refreshing to see. And and they each so the thing you can't get into is you can't use them for specific schemes because somebody asked me on Twitter, is it time to abandon the outside zone? No, because Kevon because just because Kevon Lee can't run it doesn't mean John Lovett can't. And he's he's good in that scheme. Now, the offense as a whole has to get better at that situation. But if you put him in there and he never runs inside zone, he never runs between the tackles. People are going to figure that part out. Um, There were genuinely good things about the Penn State rushing attack so far tonight. I mean, uh, the yardage totals are always misleading, you know, because a lot of that is scramble yardage from Sean Clifford. But 42 carries, 209 yards, some ripped off runs. By the way, uh, we know exactly, we have known this entire time, exactly how fast Kevon Lee is because after his second step, he is at full speed. There is no more juice in the tank after he breaks through the line of scrimmage. Who, who wins a foot race, <laughs> Kevon Lee or Sean Clifford? <laughs> I I think it's Clifford. I actually do. He, he runs like a 4.7, maybe. May, well, he's got, somehow, he's got breakaway speed. He's got long speed. Uh, so, so Ryan asks this question. Can Penn State's offense score enough to not have to worry about Iowa's defense making it a game? Iowa's defense is elite. I think, Ryan, you, you sort of answered your own question there of Iowa's defense is elite. It's not going to be easy. But I think this Indiana defense was a good test. That See, this is the thing about Tom Allen's defense. And I was talking with uh, Tom Hannafin about that at halftime. They were sh- this is like a quarterback SAT when you go up against Tom Allen's defense because what they do with their safeties is NFL level disguising coverage. They will be in one coverage family. So so there's two deep safeties or one deep safety and that kind of gives you an idea of what coverage family you're in. They will line up with two deep safeties and rotate to something completely different after the snap. This is one of the problems that Sean Clifford had last year. And he for the most part tonight he, he passed the test. He, he, he threw one bad interception, but that was more of a decision than it was he didn't. I don't think he misread the coverage. He was believing in his arm a little too much because it's called a robber coverage where you bring a guy down from a safety, a deep position to an underneath position. And they were doing that a lot tonight. And they were doing that from the, not only from the second level, but from the, from the first level into the flat. Sean Clifford literally bounced a ball off a guy's head because the the defense rotated to where they were trying to get the football. So this is a tough defense, even if their skill position players, their corners, their safeties were injured. They all play well together. This is a really well-coached football team, and schematically, they do things that challenge you. So the fact that Penn State put up what should have been 28 points and scored in every single quarter, I think that's a fair comparison to what Iowa's defense is. Now, Iowa's defense, the biggest difference is they are nasty up front. They are big, physical, mean guys up front. 
So that's going to be the test. But I think from a scheme perspective and a coverage perspective and all those things, that's exactly what you're looking for. That was the test that, that Sean Clifford passed today. Now, was it perfect? No. But but I think, Tom, Tom, was he bad? Am I missing something? Was he bad tonight? I mean, he missed a couple more throws than normal, but that was a passing grade against a good defense. Yeah, he seemed uh, first quarter a little out of rhythm. Uh, they were getting a modicum of pressure, and he was having to move around. So it was uh, not the perfect start for him. I'm seeing people in the thread talk about uh, his accuracy. You're going to maybe look at the statistics and say, oh, his completion percentage wasn't great. And fair, it's not his best outing in that respect. But I come back to Trace McSorley. I think we all remember the grandiose moments, the Big Ten title game against Wisconsin. Um, the last second touchdown pass at Iowa to beat Iowa, those moments where it was solidified like, oh, yeah, Trace has got this. Yeah. I just don't believe that Sean has really captured one of those moments yet. And and this shows to me that like we've been asking the question enough times this season that it's like, yeah, he's probably going to have one of those moments. Um, I, I hope he does. We'll, we'll see what happens. But Sean is, as I mentioned before, he's an above-average quarterback. It's not saying that he's too good to lose, but you saw the way Indiana organized this offense. They're like, great, we're going to prevent Clifford from throwing the ball deep on us because that's what Penn State has done to just destroy defenses all year long and play off of the big play. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to make Clifford get mobile and move around. He's a little dinged up. Not a bad idea. So the game plan was there, and to your point, he passed the test. Now, Going to face Iowa is going to be very, very different. Uh, I'm curious what you think because you watch more tape than anybody. Um, this seems like a turnover-dependent Iowa team. Granted, against Maryland, it's a complete outlier because it was seven total turnovers. Like yeah. That's not just you know the 85 Bears walked onto the field. It's like, no, Maryland messed up too. Yeah. Um, and what you've seen, how accurate is that statement? Because that has been the knock on the Hawkeyes until they blew out Maryland. So they played Michael Penix week one, and I think you saw what that was like. Uh, he was he was more judicious with the football this week than he had been in the past. But um, it, what it comes down to is they run zone concepts. And if you have eyes on the quarterback and you have smart corners and smart safeties that you're harassing the quarterback, he's making bad decisions, he's throwing the ball without timing, without rhythm, and without power and you, you pop a ball up there, that's the point of zone coverage, is that you're watching and you can get hands on the ball. So, so far this year, they've been able to do that. Now, I didn't watch the Maryland game. I, I was I was watching a couple other things Friday night with uh, some high school football recruits, so I didn't get to see the Maryland game. But that's basically the concept. That's what they do. Yeah. They want to they control the game at the line of scrimmage with four players, you know, through the run and through the pass. Now, the question is going to be, do they have the pass rush to get to Sean Clifford? And if they do get there, will they be able to do that, what I just described, to Sean Clifford? Because so far this year, when pressure has come, he has succeeded beyond reasonable expectations as far as avoiding pressure, making good plays. Another thing that you and I were talking about during the game was the pressure was getting there and it was affecting the passing game. That is true. They were getting pressure. But there are certain situations, and this will get into some of the things that the Penn State defense got into. We've been talking mostly tonight so far about the Penn State offense and uh, and and the defense for for 
Indiana at times would run man coverage. They would run one-on-one coverage, and they would blitz. Now, the idea, it's what Penn State was doing of, we're going to put our corners and safeties on an island, and we're going to get to the quarterback, and we're going to take everything away. Well, when he breaks the pocket, there are two choices. He can look for a, a, a player downfield in single coverage, or because he got past the guys that are responsible for him, both linebackers are blitzing, there's no one accounting for the quarterback. It, it, this is this is basic man coverage of you can't let the quarterback out of the pocket. And that's what changed the Penn State's defensive game plan when Jack Tuttle came in. I, I was actually thinking when Tuttle came in, this is the best chance that that they have. This is the best chance that they're going to have to uh, do anything because you can't play press man coverage against Jack Tuttle because if he breaks the pocket, he can run for 45 yards. He can do what Sean Clifford did. So even some of those running plays, even though they were scrambles, that is Sean Clifford making the right decision. Now, those plays will not be there against Iowa because they're not going to do that. They're not going to bring five and play man coverage the same way. He's going to have to win the game with his arm next week. Uh, and, And Dave asking again, why didn't Penn State bury this team instead of getting cute on second and third downs? Let me ask you this. If it were 28 nothing. And they won by four touchdowns, four touchdowns, instead of getting a field goal. Does that change your opinion? Does that change how you feel about this game? Does that Would that change it how you feel, Tom? No, not really. Like, uh, I, I understand the allure of hanging video game-like numbers. Right. This is not that team. Like, you're not that dude. This is not that team. <laughs> like, I, I tweeted it earlier today, and I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but, like, have we all watched the way Alabama and Georgia have been mangling opponents this season, how good they look? Yeah. Whenever Georgia figures out who in the world is playing quarterback, they won't. They'll probably lose Alabama at some point in the SEC title or the national title game. But this is basically everybody in the top ten auditioning to see who gets to be three and fourth in the college football playoff and then get whopped. Okay? That's <laughs> Which one do you – I would rather I would rather play Georgia. I think they have a better defense, Pick but poison. if Pick I were, poison. but, but again, you, you point out the quarterback. I don't want to play the better quarterback. I want to play. I would play oh. the better defense. Right. But like, it's again, it's, you're either going to face Georgia in the first round or you're going to face Alabama in the second round. <laughs> yeah. So you're screwed either way. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's really difficult. Uh, I understand Penn state fans want to see this team go to, being the top dog, being that elite program, this is a very good football team, uh, and they beat a good opponent tonight. There are a lot more tough opponents to come this season. Um, we looked ahead at the schedule a little bit as the broadcast was going on, but, I mean, you still have to go to Kinnick. You have to go to Ohio State. You host Michigan. Then you end the year at Michigan State, which is no joke. So yeah. This, yeah, yeah. this season is far from over, and people are worried about how many points we won by. You got to just be thankful for the the points that they are scoring because I'll tell you what, the scoreboard is probably going to look very similar for Iowa Penn State as it yeah. did Wisconsin Penn State. And if you win, that's okay. That's how this team in 2021 wins. Yeah, but I, I, I'm surprised. I guess I'm a little surprised because Penn State covered, like even if you want to go that, they, they covered in this game. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the line was 17, right? And I was thinking yeah. like, this is a three-touchdown favorite. Um, right. 
I want to throw this in here because I, I'm going to get into some in-depth stuff here in a second. So I wanted to give Ryan what he's asking for. Hey. He said, uh, thanks for the insight. Love the in-depth discussion. Ryan, love that you're a part of the Blue White Illustrated family here on YouTube. He's always here uh, watching the show. So I super appreciate that. Appreciate that a lot. By the way, this is our largest audience. So welcome to the next hey. step for the Blue White Illustrated Post Game Show. Um, BWI Late Night. I love yeah. it. Yeah. We'll go about an hour. That's we typically, if you're new here, uh, we typically go about an hour, give you a breakdown of what we saw on, on film. Tom Hannafin is a professional fan. I am a film analyst for Blue White Illustrated. We're giving you all coverage from all different angles of Penn State football. Uh, so the, the defense, talking about a team uh, that has been dominating, that was as complete of a butt kicking as I've seen in a while. Uh, what 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 stood out to you about how the defense played today? I, I kind of touched on it before. The secondary is just outstanding. Um, I think the defensive line uh, was able to have their way this week a little bit more than they have in the past. Um, and 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 to be fair, like the Wisconsin offensive line is consistently very good. It was a veteran offensive line that they face against Auburn. Uh, we knew that the level of ability for this group was good, but nothing you know to write home about necessarily. So it was nice to see uh, DJ Mustafer get in there. It was great to see Arnold Ebiketti look like he did against uh, Wisconsin in the first week. Uh, he blocked another field. He blocked goal, another. So, he blocked another one. Yeah, him and Brandon Smith both got in there. Ebiketti was excellent. What really stood out to me, I, I mentioned the defensive backs. This linebacking core wants to hurt you. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really terrifying. And I'm going to lump in um, uh, Brisker there, who's got the the ankles of somebody here in this picture. Um, Brisker, Smith, Jacobs, and Brooks. If you're alone in space and they have five yards to build up ahead of steam, that is the end of your day. Um, those four are some of the heaviest hitting dudes. Um, I hope Jaquan Brisker is okay. He came up holding his left shoulder. He's been banged up since the season started. So yeah, that's why that shoulder's I was been lobbying. a problem. Or, hey, for Ball State and Villanova, tell your All-American to just chill. But, you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, the important <laughs> thing is we won the game. So this is this has gotten to be a much more physically intense defense as the season has gone on. And I didn't think yeah. it was going to get ramped up much more than what we saw against Wisconsin. So this was what I was expecting, uh, truthfully, uh, on film. Because this Indiana offense has some fundamental problems. And they got worse with DJ Matthews going out with an ACL injury last week. He was their only dude that had any speed. Their fastest receiver is Peyton Hendershot. And he's their tight end. And I, I, for Penn State fans, I know Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington were great last year. But that's like, if you didn't have Jahan Dotson last year and you only had Pat Fryermuth, that's that's what they're operating with. Their quarterback uh, was the problem for them. And Michael Penix is the reason they were so great last year, but he is just not, he was not in, he can't do the things he used to be able to do because yeah, he doesn't trust really the knee sad. right now. It's less really than, sad. so, so this is something that my, my wife is, is a, is a strength coach and, and a personal trainer. And she was taking me through the physiology of, of the knee injury. And she's like, you know, physically he should be fine, but she watched him tonight. And she's like, oh yeah, he doesn't trust that thing. So that's the problem. He He's not going to be mobile. Uh, you were saying he's one of the ugliest throwers you've seen in a while. And I think it's yeah. because everything is with the arm. He doesn't want to step into throws. So there were two yeah. ways that uh, teams have defended Indiana. Iowa played zone coverage, which we've, co we've covered that. 
and um, Cincinnati played cover one. That is one deep safety, everyone in your face. You know, smelling the breath of a receiver, shoving them out of bounds, one-on-one press man coverage. And it suffocated the Indiana offense for most of the day. I watched both those films, and I'm like, Brent Pry can just pick what he wants to do. Penn State can operate either of these game plans equally as good as Iowa and better than Cincinnati. And I know Cincinnati has some good coverage players. They have actually, you know, some NFL-level coverage players. But Penn State, from top to bottom, has more of those. And that's what you saw tonight. If you literally can take your three best cover corners, and I'm putting Daquan Hardy in here, too, because every time he's on the field, somebody targets him, and he gets a pass breakup. It's mm-hmm. it's phenomenal. Uh, and that's really what this this was tonight for the defense. They had six pass breakups and an interception. Uh, that's that's a great night. There was no room anywhere. Penn State, mm-hmm. especially in the first half, suffocated the receivers. And what they were able to do then is because Michael Penix can't move and he doesn't want to move, throw as many bodies as you can at him. And those corners and those uh, safeties will hold up. And that's exactly what happened. And and I, the Villanova game, I thought they were doing that just because they could. That was practice for this week. They were playing cover one last week to pra- to get prepared for this particular game. So to me, when you have that level of dominance and you can choose how to play, Michael Penix had, was five for 15 at one point, and all five of his completions were underneath zone coverages, and or four of them were, and one was a busted coverage that uh, with the very first pass of the game. You can't do better than that. They were dominant. I felt bad. For Michael Penix, you, you <laughs> outlined the no. I mean, like I, I was, you know, calling for blood coming into this game, and you know the revenge tour and such like that. I've and then you saw, outspoken. then you saw the carnage. <laughs> then yeah, no, and and again, like there was nothing malicious about the hit on him. It's just a freak accident. Unfortunately, it's just throwing shoulder. But yeah, the you know the graphics that ESPN threw up there of the injuries he sustained since 2018. Can you imagine being an 18 to 22 year old? and having to surgery, rehab, surgery, yeah. rehab over and over and over. Um, I, I said to you via text, so I was like, yeah, he's an ugly passer. And what I mean by that is his footwork is just not great. He doesn't allow his feet to drive the ball. Um, yeah. Drew Brees was doing an excellent breakdown of Desmond Ritter earlier today on NBC, and he was saying, you see how his shoulders and his head, they don't move and they stay eye-line with the receiver, and his legs are busy. They're moving all over the place. Penix is such a gifted athlete and thrower yeah. that he's not using his legs well. He's placing them like cement in the ground, and he's still throwing the ball and not the greatest completion percentage, but he pulls off big plays. He makes some electric things happen. So I'm heartbroken for the guy, and it took my uh, emotion as a fan completely out of it, and you care about that for the player. So I, I yeah. sincerely hope he gets better. Uh, and, and Jack Tuttle genuinely has a bright future uh, if he gets the opportunity, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I, I I'm I always say this probably not the guy like you you yeah. most of them aren't the guy so that's that's always how I feel uh, if you want to get a, a question in the in the chat we're you know we're accepting the super chats tonight we got one from Dave uh, he says it's not about putting up video game numbers it's just about taking what the defense is giving you and moving the football and I think that maybe that's a that's a fair point he's making there is that uh, Sean Clifford can be pretty aggressive. And can throw the ball down the field 
a lot. And uh, on deep passes this year so far, he has not been good. And, and that's in the totality of the entire season so far. He has not been good in uh, any game really outside of, and I wouldn't even put the Wisconsin game in there because he left two touchdowns on the field. Uh, but he didn't complete, I don't think he completed any deep balls against uh, against Auburn. And Villanova was the only time that he was accurate and put it all together. There were there were a couple misses tonight. There's one of the problems is and, and I apologize if this is another one of those things that's it's a little convoluted. So Penn State runs the bubble screen game, right? So they motion somebody out, they've got the two blockers out there or they'll line up that way or they'll motion into the flat and they'll do that. There's another play built off of that where they fake blocking and run up field. It has worked, Tom. Do you know how many times it's worked this year? How many times has it worked this year? Once. Now it was a great play. It was. Yeah. I think it was a touchdown to Jahan Dotson. I think, mm. but it's worked once. Uh, so, so that's 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 part of the issue. Is that a couple of times when he's throwing the ball away, it's because th- nobody's open. Like the the play didn't right. work. You're living to, to fight another day. But do you think that this offense? And I'll throw this up again here. Here and uh, uh, Dave, I I. I your, your sentiment is right, but I'm going to ask a different question. Do you think they're too aggressive and they try to take things that aren't there? Uh, I, I believe so, yes. And to Dave's point, um, think about what Indiana gave Sean Clifford in the first half. Typically, it was nickel or dime coverages. So there's a lot of bodies out there, and you could see the alignment that Indiana was putting out there. They're doing everything possible, as T. Frank was just saying, to put out a lot of different exotic coverages that he just wasn't prepared to deal with at the same time you also really didn't see these defensive backs get beyond 10 yards uh, from the line of scrimmage they made sure everything stayed in front of them because all that Penn State has done most of this season is capitalize on gigantic plays to the likes of uh, Jahan Dotson Parker Washington um, and even the tight ends at times so they were just like okay if we don't let Penn State beat us in the deep passing game we keep everything underneath we know we can pretty much bottle up the run as well. So then it's going to be pressure on Sean Clifford to make things happen, force things into tight windows, doing things that he's not comfortable doing. Penn State identified this at halftime and switched, as I mentioned before, 19 runs in the second half to 11 passes. I saw some people in the chat talking about, oh, second and third down wasn't terribly creative. Well, that's because you were committed to the run and you were not going to put Sean in the situation of, he threw uh, 34 passes, I think, I, I, somewhere in that vein. This is not a guy who should be throwing 40, 45, 50 times a game. And you and I have talked about this before. That is exactly, if there's a pitch count, should be right around there for Sean Clifford. And, and I'm not trying to knock the guy. That's just a good spot for your offensive balance. So I think Penn State did a really nice job adjusting. Would you like to see them have more success against that stuff in the first half? Yeah, but they just... Indiana had the chess piece out in front first. They did a nice job. I I think they need to hit more deep shots. I I think that's the thing that really is missing. And one of the things that Indiana did that I think was really impressive tonight was limiting those deep plays with, with, with not playing cover four, not having so many bodies deep. And that, again, goes back to what they were doing with their scheme of they were on the money. They knew what they needed to do and where to place the people so that there weren't those uh, those rainbow passes down the field to Jahan Dotson. Because one of the things Mike Yersich can do very well is scheme up a good play if you give him the right look that he can get a guy 
in the middle of the field open. Down, you know, between the hashes, all the quarterback has to do is not miss a wide-open target. There were none of those tonight. Everything was forced to the perimeter. They made sure that they buttoned up their secondary coverage and things were either you hit a really good throw or it was incomplete or you had to scramble and and some of the plays were made on the run out of structure. That would be the one thing I'd say that that Sean Clifford specifically, they still need to work on. I think they had a graphic up at one point. He was 0 for 3 on deep passes and one of them was an interception. Now, I think that was at like 12 yards. So if that's a deep pass, like yee. You know, that's not that deep of a pass. <laughs> uh, but yeah, any, anything over 10 yards, he's usually good up to about 15. But once you get to those deep passes where you have to be accurate and good timing and all that stuff, those things are still yet to come. And I think to the opposite of what David is saying about taking what the defense is giving you, they were trying to take away some of those underneath things by dropping an extra defender down into that coverage. Now, that's only, you know, that was what stood out to me. They were still playing their soft coverages and making you beat them the other way. But I, I think for the most part, Penn State did. Penn State did. They scored, again, I'll go back to, they scored a touchdown in every single quarter until the fourth quarter of this game. And that means since Wisconsin. And that's that, that in itself is pretty impressive, isn't it? It's very impressive, uh, considering you know you had Auburn in there and easily could have thrown up a zero in one stanza. So, um, yeah, I listen. I it, it's just going to be a different recipe every single week to get a win. It, it, that's I, I don't think this staff the staff really cares how they get it done. They have a variety of different guys that are very talented. But to your point, in the passing game, the thing that's deadliest is Jahan or Parker in space. And that's exactly how Jahan scored uh, on that touchdown pass because obviously uh, Sean Clifford rolling out and creating time with his legs, scrambling, it kind of broke down the coverage a bit. But Jahan got into space. You're not going to touch him. They continue to rely on these bubble screens quite a bit. I'm not the biggest fan of them, but Jahan and Parker are two dudes who can really make something happen there. Same with Keandre Lambert-Smith, as a matter of fact. He got in some nice touches. Um, But you have guys who can win in space. So if you've got the defense saying, hey, take the underneath 10 yards, do what you got to do from a formation standpoint to give your guy space to potentially run after the catch. So that's just on your such. And let's also not forget first year offensive coordinator, five games in, yeah. a lot more to come. So we're only just kind of getting the, the to scratch the surface uh, surface with your such. That's yeah. easy. <laughs> surface with yeah yeah say that five times fast yeah. Uh, so this is this is an interesting place for Penn State that they they shut out Indiana, a team that, uh, you know, especially late in the game last year, they were playing very well against that team and they had a bit of a defensive breakdown. They did not give them that opportunity this year. How? So I think everyone is concerned now that that have been asking questions. The general vibe of short yardages. You're 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 getting too cute on short yardage. Not creative enough on short yardage. You know you're not doing it, it, the short yardage is obviously a problem. But like we're now seeing the specific problems that will eventually cause this team to lose because they're a top five team in the country. This defense, do you think they can carry them through some of those problems against the teams that are coming up that are? better and more talented and have a little bit more of a complete game to their profile. Do you think the defense is that good? They might be. 
I kind of think so too. Here, so I'll put it this way: on the Pater podcast, my prediction for this season was that Penn State would finish the year eight and four. I didn't distinguish what those four losses would be. However, part of me did genuinely feel like it would have been maybe Wisconsin and or Auburn in September. So I was pleasantly surprised, like a lot of Penn State fans, to see us come out 4-0 to end September. There are four very losable games left on the schedule. Um, and that's not to say that Penn State's the underdog in those games. Those are very winnable games as well. But that's the kind of the feeling with this team. You don't feel really confident going into Kinnick at night. Uh, that's going to be a chat or in the late afternoon. Why in the world is that at four o'clock in the afternoon? Anyway, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens. The Ohio State game is going to get a lot of fanfare. Ohio State is still Ohio State. They will yeah. show up. Michigan is rounding out into form, and they're actually putting a competent team on the field this year. And Michigan State's going to be tough. So, yeah, Michigan I, State to me is the one that looks the most dangerous. Weirdly yeah. enough, they're very explosive. They have some really yeah. good athletes on the outside, Walker which is, is their new Le'Veon Bell, uh, and so on and so I, forth. I think so Jaden like Reed. I, I think uh, Jaden Reed is his name. He oh, he's fast. No, number nine is it Kenneth Walker? I, I I don't I don't I haven't watched them in depth. I just know that oh, there's okay. one. They're, I just saw one highlight like today. I'm talking about a receiver. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Receiver, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. but I think it's a fair point that that is a very dangerous team that, you know, they're, they're on the way back. And I think that's, Penn State's going to be tested. They have one of the hardest, I think this is another thing that's important to point out. Penn State has from the month of September on, wait, was that game in August? The, no, the, their first game was in September. Hardest schedule. Yes. Like they have from beginning to end, they're going to be tested. So there's, there's no, um, I, you know, I don't feel like this team is, is, we're not searching for answers. We know what they are and what they aren't. And I guess that's the part of if you're comfortable with that or not. And I, I guess there's a, there's a, there's still a certain uh, percentage of Penn State fans that are concerned that despite the fact they ran for 200 yards tonight, they didn't run for the two yards they needed a couple of times. A couple of yeah. uh, things I want to point out there. Here's one thing I hate. I hate the quarterback power. I oh. hate the quarterback it's power nightmares of Kirk Soraka and I'm like stop yeah so <laughs> like he's first of all he's hurt his throwing <laughs> arm is hurt let's not get him hurt come on <laughs> so so some of the issues that I was noticing early on that actually Penn State's offense did better so this, I want I want to point this out Eric Wilson to start the game was struggling to get blocks on the move and one of the quarterback power runs he whiffs on a block I think it was Micah McFadden he's a He's an NFL linebacker. That dude yeah. is legit. So that's going to happen. But the point, I guess, of Sean Clifford, and this is the thing that I'm, uh, I've always maintained, is he is not a power runner. So if you need two yards, you're expecting the rest of the offensive line, everyone to do their job, because he needs to be able to fall forward for those yards. And I always say he's not Cam Newton, because Cam Newton is a physical presence as a runner. He's not Josh Allen. He's not he's not even uh Andrew Luck. Ben in his prime. Yeah. So he's not any of those guys. He's not gonna break a tackle. He's gonna break an angle, is what he's going to do. And that there are no angles inside in quarterback power. And that to me is the the problem I have with that. That's why I love watching the wrinkle 
with uh, Tyler Warren at the goal line because he is technically a threat to throw the football. And he is a much more physical runner. You're expecting that out of your 6'5", 255-pound tight end. That makes way more sense. So right. that part of the short yardage, I, I, I don't like that part. But I do like some of the things that they're doing uh, at the short yardage situation. That should have been a touchdown. I'm going to go back to it again. That should have been a touchdown. <laughs> yeah. Kevon Lee did not do his job. And I know that, that Brenton Strange missed his block. But that lineup... Uh, Tyler Warren gets a down block. Rasheed Walker gets a down block. Noah Kane gets his block. You had to beat one guy in the hole. That's the Oklahoma drill. Like, that is, that is. I don't know if they do in Pop Warner anymore. I think that's dangerous. But, like, that's what football 101 is. He yeah. should be able to get a yard at 240 pounds. So there, the concepts and the schemes, I don't think are the problem outside of a couple that I do have an issue with. It's just the execution, and, I, you know, I, I, it's easy to blame the coordinator, but they're being put in situations for the most part, I think, to get the yards. I don't think it's I don't think it's on your situation. I think it's personnel. Yeah, because honestly, they threw a lot of beef out there for that. We talked about it before. I believe overall that was a three tight end set there on the goal line. I think these tight ends have proved their receivers. Yeah. And, and, and that's OK. Tyler Warren has a lot of different skill sets that, yes, they should continue to use. So, and we've talked about some of the gaps in the, the, the games of Noah Kane and John Lovett and Kevon Lee. Kevon's issue is take one cut and good body ang angles and try and get some positive yardage. That's where he struggles the most, but he's the biggest guy. So do you think he's Lendale White? You put him back there and you try and get the one or two yards, or do you realize that's probably not where he's going to do best and you look at John Lovett to do that or you look at Noah to do something like that? Okay, yeah. still yeah. questions back there. Now let's back up and say, okay, what if we took the tight ends out of the equation because they're not blocking? You're going to trot out other interior linemen who also have not done a good job this year in run blocking? So there aren't any real solutions that you can fathomably look at everybody in the uh, offensive side of the locker room and be like, if I put you in with that guy, this will turn around all of a sudden. <laughs> it's like, no, like this is who, this is what their yeah. personnel is. There yep. aren't there aren't better options just sitting in the locker room. Like this is they're, they're throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. And I think it is, I do think it has gotten better. Uh, and, and not to dump on Kevon Lee too much. There was another short yardage play where all you have to do again is lower your shoulder. He's 245 pounds. Physics works a certain way. I don't know how it works, but I know that momentum is a part of it. And all you have to do is have a lower center of gravity. And he danced in the hole. And yes, there's a linebacker there, but you're trying to get two yards. It's just for him. It's just remember the objective here. Don't try and and break every run. And if there's a body there, you have a bigger one. And I, I there there are sometimes you know when uh, it, it I just that part has been a problem. But they were able to rip off a 44-yard run uh, and then a 30-some-yard run on 4th and 2, I think it was, or 4th and 4. So there have been, I think, tangible strides in that area. It still is inconsistent, though. Uh, this is the BWI Live postgame show. We're here for just a couple more minutes, so if you have any more questions, uh, throw them in the chat if you want to donate to the channel. Uh, make sure that we're able to do this after every Penn State football game. Just uh, throw in a couple bucks if you'd like to in the Super Chat, and we'll get to your questions. Uh one other thing that I wanted to point out, Tom, uh, I love 
Mike Yersich's use of tempo. I think mm. that he does it better than anyone I've seen at Penn State use tempo. Um, you were talking about this, and you called this out, of why don't they just go tempo and hammer the run game? And that's what they did to start the, the third quarter. Um, you need to hit some runs, but that's exactly what they did. They got a first down, and then they went quick, and they wanted to catch that the defense off guard. Uh, do you think that they're going to be able to do that going forward? Um, like there's just going to be smarter defenses that you play. I'm not saying that's not a smart defense that you, you said it's like, you know, studying for the SAT and then taking it like that's a good, intelligent Indiana defense. Um, the thing that clearly seems to help, uh, with Sean Clifford is okay. If they don't have time to make a bunch of checks and changes, then he can adapt to those early reads. Also as much motion as possible revealing those coverages. That's something we saw a lot throughout the early parts of the season really seemed to help Sean um, identify things early on. So um, I'd say you keep it up. You don't want to do it consistently because then it's just norm and that's what teams get used to, but pulling it out at the right moment. Again, it just seemed like Indiana was daring Penn state beat us with the running game or beat us with the underneath pass. We're not going to give you the big play and we're going to try and, we're just going to see how much you guys can do with the running game. Yeah. And Penn State committed to it. It wasn't just, oh, we'll try on first down, and if it doesn't work, we'll just throw it six more times. It's like, no, 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 no. Like you, you're going to run it on second down. You're going to make those defensive backs creep up, and you're going to find some more holes in the zone. Again, this is a wide receiver core that wants to pick apart the zone. Parker yeah. Washington and Jahan are outstanding at finding gaps and sitting and getting open for Sean Clifford. So the more that the game wore on, the more they were able to do that. So I thought the game plan was really good, but you just can't go tempo the entire game. I don't think this team is built for that. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, and I think you mentioned it here, one of the things that I thought was smart is Mike Yersich has used tempo differently in every game so far. So in the Auburn game, they used it to confuse the defense and to get a big play. In this game, when they were able to hit a first down, they used it to simplify the coverages that Indiana was showing. You can't, you can't disguise your coverage if you've got 10 seconds to line up and communicate because you got to see where the receivers are. You've got to know what you're running. First off, you got to get the call in and you got to make sure that you know where your zone is and what you're accountable for. So you can't do a bunch of disguising. And that made it easier on Clifford. And I, I think it was in the second quarter. I, I have it pulled up here where they went uh, gain of nine, gain of 10, and then they ran the ball. So they were able to rip off like 20 yards just using tempo on that drive. It was a 14-play drive that ended up in a touchdown. But they, you know, they, got, they got the chunk plays by using tempo without getting those, those big-time plays. So again, when, if you're concerned about Mike Yersich and his play calling, I, I got to tell you, you're, just trust me on this one. He's doing a really good job. Like you're 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 missing some things that they're doing that are very smart. They're able to adapt mid-game and make adjustments and and really take advantage of what the defense is doing for them, even if it doesn't always result in points. And even if there are punts, I think that this is a good offense that is going to continue to score points, even if they don't put it up in bunches like they have in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, to make the analogy. Uh, Mike Yurcich inherited a racehorse, and now he's got to train it so that it can compete and get ready for the Kentucky Derby. 
and he's in the process of getting this offense where he thinks it can be and discovering what his personnel can and cannot execute. I'm seeing that a lot uh, in the chat, and we actually just got a super chat from James S. I'll let you bring yep. that up, but this is a great question. How far can this team go? Um, the way they've been playing, they are capable of a Big Ten championship. Yep. They are capable of a college football playoff. A lot is still remaining. A lot yeah. can change. A lot still has to happen. There are no gimmies down the stretch, uh, the remainder of the Big Ten schedule. So that's that's a blue sky situation, in my opinion. I don't know what you think. Yeah, so as long as Sean Clifford maintains his level of play, and tonight was an acceptable level of play for this game, that's really what it is, is do you have an acceptable level of play from every part of your team to win any game? And so far, they have. And that has not been the case in years past. So that's, to me, that's a huge thing, is that there's always been a part of the team. And I will say, even the run game has been efficient enough through the first part of the season that they've been able to win every game that they've played. So are there holes? Yes. Is this team perfect? No. But LSU in 2019 was an average running team. They were not a good running team. Their offensive line was average. Now, did they had high-level number one overall pick quarterback? So it's I'm not I'm making a vague comparison here, but they were not a perfect team, and they had what they they were undefeated through one of the most difficult schedules in the history of college football and modern college football, like that we've recorded. So you can be an imperfect team and win if you have special qualities. This defense is bordering on special. So the secondary is a, is phenomenal. Uh, Tig Brown is, is just turning into a f great center fielder. The ability to go find the football and, and to pick off the easy ones. Brisker is becoming a lockdown, versatile chess piece you can put on three levels of the defense as long as he stays healthy. Joey Porter Jr. is becoming a shutdown corner. Tariq Castro Fields, outside of double moves, has been good this year. He still got burned on another double move, but, you know, he's been a... Even if your weak link is Tariq Castro-Fields, he's been good. He got two... I think he got two pass breakups in this game. That's a great day for a corner. Uh, so then it becomes the defensive line. Can they consistently get pressure? And that's the one thing that tonight that didn't go right for them was that a couple of drives. Michael Penix, you left him a clean pocket. You were playing man coverage they found, you know, an open receiver. Or you were playing a zone coverage and you were blitzing and it was a zone blitz and you have to leave someplace open if you bring extra defend extra defenders at the quarterback. And if you don't get there, big holes open. That was the one thing that I... you Jesse Lucchetta, if he can become a pass rusher or if they can find somebody else to go with Arnold Ebikidi, this defense is a top five defense in the nation that can carry you through some mistakes on the offensive side. That being said, the offense can't play poorly for them to win all the games that they win this year. So, and they haven't. Like, the, the, the simply, they have not played poorly in any game so far. And, and that's what it comes down to. And will they be able to do that going forward? So far, the evidence is yes. And from what I've seen of Mike Yersich and Sean Clifford as a combination, I, I believe that that can continue. I, I don't see any team on this schedule that is so good that I would not give them any opportunity. Yeah, it seems to be trending in that direction. I, I think the overall feeling I'm getting from Penn State fans 
is that little pipe dream that's been in the back of people's minds for a very long time, depending yep. on how old you are. Yeah. Um, can this team win a national title? And those are expectations and thoughts that Penn State fans have not had in a while. And it's something that um, many of us hoped that with, okay, Bill O'Brien coming here, he could be the one to get us there. And that was short-lived. And then when James Franklin arrived, maybe he's the one to get us there. And we all remember in 2018 the speech after losing to Ohio State, that Dwayne Haskins team. This is a, a We've been a good football program. We're a great football program. We're not an elite football program. I think Penn State fans are sick of being good, great, really great. They want to be elite again. There is a very distinct possibility if Penn State, let's say if they went undefeated the remainder of the season, or even if they drop one game, won the Big Ten title, and didn't get screwed by the college football playoff committee. <clears throat> there, there is just still the deck stacked against them of the top-heavy situation we have right now with Alabama and Georgia. It just happens to be a bad year to yeah. run into two teams like that. And that's nothing against what Penn State is right now or is capable of. But that's what I'm getting from Penn State fans. I want to see this team win a national title in my lifetime. Um, I just want to be realistic because I'm a cynical Philadelphia sports fan. And it's like yeah. one game at a time. It's not always going to be pretty. There are winnable games on this schedule. There are losable games on this schedule. But this is a very talented Penn State game. Just take it one yeah. week at a time. I guess if you want absolution, go to church. You're not going to get absolution in football. So, <laughs> you know, that's no one can say I can't sit here and tell you. Yes, they can win a a national championship. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I do think that as long as they continue to play this way, they will have an opportunity to be in the college football playoff. An opportunity, and that's what James Franklin preaches all the time. One and zero, one and zero, one and zero. Just play good. Play your best game every week, and we'll find out if they they have the pieces to do that. They have the offense. They have the explosiveness to, to go toe-to-toe with some good offenses. Now, that part needs to be more consistent. There needs to be a little more consistency in places. They are not overwhelmingly talented. But if they get to the Big Ten championship game, that means they've won the East. You, you've crossed the major hurdle there. And then... If you get to the college football playoff, and I, this is this is so, this part is is the point that it gets absurd to have this conversation in uh, the first week of October. But to me, that's a win. That part you've already won from a program perspective. You have broken the seal. You have crossed the threshold. You are now a part of that conversation. You can no longer say that you have not been in the college football playoff because most teams haven't. Most, like, 90%, I don't know the math, but 90% of teams, I'm going to go 95. Screw it. I'm, I'm just going to go yeah. out of limb. It's like Have, six different teams. <laughs> exactly. So if you get in the college football playoff, that's a win. You're recruiting everything. It, it just, it's, it means so much. So that opportunity right now is on, it's, it's on the plate because you've passed all these really hard tests that no one expects you to pass at the beginning of the season. So they've already exceeded my expectations for this year. And at this point, they just have to continue doing what they do. And they will have an, a chance every single week, uh, including next week. I know you're not feeling good about going to Kinnick Stadium. What are your thoughts about the game against Iowa? What Have you seen them at all this year? I actually watched more of the Maryland game than I'm proud of. 
uh, just because <laughs> it just uh, it was on on a Friday. Um, yeah, yeah. I watched the bulk of that game, and then I watched a lot of the Colorado State game, which many of the pundits and people were pointing at as like this is kind of a sloppy game. Uh, it wasn't. I believe it was 34-31 was the final. Like Colorado State actually put up a fight. Um, the knock on Iowa at that point, I'd mentioned it earlier in the show, is that um, Iowa largely through the year had been dependent on defensive inter- uh, turnovers to then gain an advantage and really start to wear down an opponent. Um, what I saw against Maryland, A, Maryland had the worst day Maryland's ever had, at least if you're a quarterback. Talia Talaga-Vailoa. You don't throw five interceptions just because it's the greatest secondary ever. Uh, clearly, the guy got in his head and was just completely thrown off. They brought in his backup. He threw a pick. I believe there were seven total interception uh, turnovers, excuse me, caused by Iowa, and they won it by a substantial margin. I don't think Iowa is that good. I think Maryland played that badly to explain that. Yeah. Um, but this is a this is not your grandfather's Iowa. And what I mean by that is Spencer Petrus can actually throw the ball. Yeah. They, again, don't have anybody at wide receiver that's going to keep you up at night or is going to go in the top four rounds of the NFL draft. Um, They still very much want to run the ball. They have an excellent offensive line, and their defense is smart and disciplined. Um, They will bring that same type of fight. This is going to be kind of the um, mental acuity of what Indiana's defense did, just better athletes. I think that's a scary thing. So personally, I think Penn State can win this game. Um, I personally do do not underestimate going to Kinnick ever. We've seen Ohio State and countless other big teams lose uh, in Iowa City. It is a very difficult place to play. I believe this Iowa team is beatable, and it sounds cliche. If Penn State does not turn the ball over, they will beat the Hawkeyes. Yeah, I, I I think that's that's well said because that is that has been the formula. I mean, that has been the formula when Penn State has won against Iowa is is they get more explosive plays. Iowa controls the ball. Iowa runs outside zone for the 38th year in a row. And then Penn State either wins the turnover battle or Iowa does, you know, doesn't give the ball up. They get enough points in a low scoring game. So one matchup I want to put in your brain right now. Uh, Chris Lindstrom, I think is his name, the center for Iowa. Uh, All-American center against P.J. Musfer and Derek Tangelo. That's going to be a key matchup next week. Is Which one of those groups, Lindstrom against the defensive tackles, is going to be able to keep their gap more? Because if Iowa can run up the middle, Iowa's a problem when they can run up the middle. But you're right. Spencer Petrus is, is legitimately, I, was, I kept thinking, look at this guy. Yeah, there's not much to him. He doesn't seem he seems like another Iowa quarterback running around right. every once in a while. Then he uncorks this beautiful ball over the middle in between coverage. Mm-hmm. He can he can make enough plays, get enough explosive plays that he can be a problem for Penn State football. We will have more on that throughout the week at Blue White Illustrated. Tom, tell us about the Pater podcast. Yes, uh, check out the Patriot podcast. Uh, if you go to believe, B-L-E-A-V dot com, you can search for the Patriot podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it's called Patriot with Matt McGloin and Tom Hannafin, a Penn State football podcast. Uh, we put out our shows every Monday morning at 9 a.m. And then what we've been doing is posting our game exclusive previews uh, Friday mornings at 9 a.m. exclusively on YouTube. So you can go there and check out everything exclusively for the game that is coming up within 24 hours and get yourself prepared as much as possible. So uh, we're very, very grateful. Uh, I've seen 
people that were still watching or listening to the podcast while this game was going on tonight. So I was very touched. And uh, thank you to our audience in Korea. Uh, so <laughs> so that, thank you for tuning in. Uh, again, that's the Pater podcast with myself and Matt McGloin. You might know who that is. Uh, and of course, I'll be getting about four hours of sleep. I'll be grinding the film tomorrow, and then you'll have your film room on Monday for me if you are a subscriber at Blue White Illustrated. Of course, bwi.rivals.com if you want to subscribe and get that information. We will be back on Monday with the daily edition early in the day, and then BWI Live is back at Monday with our recap show with the full crew of myself and uh, Nate Bauer and Dave Eckert. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll be back then. <laughs> <laughs>